0: Love Talk radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery Radio. This is Robert Rogers. I am your host, facilitator, and leader in terms of facilitating information, resources, and support for persons currently diagnosed with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and their family members. I really have a most exciting guest on the radio show today. Michael Ray is the science writer at SENS, S-E-N-S, Research Foundation. So Michael, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be a guest on the show today.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me on, Roger. This is a really good opportunity to talk about rejuvenation biotechnology, what SENS Research Foundation is working on and what the hope for that means for people with Parkinson's and people who otherwise are going to develop Parkinson's in the future.
0: You have the attention of all members of my audience, Michael. So tell us just a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, Yeah. So as you say, I am a science writer for SENS Research Foundation. I wear a lot of hats here. Um, I think, uh, I was a person who was never really comfortable with the idea that people just age and degenerate and suffer and then die. Uh, And so when I first started learning in the early 1990s uh, that scientists were actually working on ways that we could stop having that happen, uh, I became really intrigued and excited. And that sort of uh, bent the arc of my life in a way that eventually led me to be working for Dr. Robert De Grey, who is the uh, founder and sort of lead intellect behind the whole approach that we use at SENS Research Foundation and eventually the foundation of SENS Research Foundation itself. Uh, and so I get to work on this challenging problem, which is, you know, the, the, the opportunity and the, um, the the career of a lifetime, really.
0: What then is SENS? That's S-E-N-S, and what is the SENS Research Foundation, Michael?
1: Yes, that's a good place to start. So um, SENS stands for rather a mouthful, which is Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence. So if we work through that backwards, uh, senescence is just the scientific word for aging not in the sense of how many candles do you have on your birthday cake but in the sense of you know the biological degenerative process that turns young healthy people into old people with a range of chronic diseases and disabilities and eventually kills them Uh, so negligible senescence is a phenomenon that is seen in a relatively small number of animals uh, but it's still quite striking when you see it which is they senesce negligibly. That is, you can observe them for decades and decades, and they don't seem to show any real signs of aging, uh, which is stunning. And so uh, engineering negligible senescence is the idea that we could, you know, since we weren't born with negligible senescence, obviously, uh, that we could instead develop engineering solutions namely biotechnological solutions, that would actually give us negligible senescence as humans. So the idea is to develop strategies whereby we give humans the ageless, limitless life potential that some of these rare organisms have. And that would allow us to live free of chronic age-related disease.
0: Michael, what then is aging scientifically speaking and and how in the world does this relate to Parkinson's?
1: Right. So um, I think people think of aging sometimes as a sort of a natural process the way they think about development, right? So there is just this program that turns, you know, a fertilized egg into a baby, into a three-year-old, into a teenager and then teenagers go through puberty and they turn into adults and you know and and that is a program developmental process and i think people intuitively think well aging must be the same sort of thing where it's just another stage in the life cycle it's really not that at all Um, evolution has really designed us to become functional healthy adults and the the problem is evolution has never had the incentive to keep us that way indefinitely the way it has for these small numbers of negligibly senescent organisms and so instead it's just like a car if you don't maintain it properly it starts to deteriorate and becomes more and more dysfunctional and you know one car's accelerator will give out Faster, and another car's carburetor will go out faster. And another car's brakes will go out faster, but all cars will eventually fall apart. Um, and similarly, you know, human bodies are extremely complex biological machines that just don't have adequate maintenance systems to keep them functional and we would say useful and healthy forever. And so they degenerate. And so what you see in an aging person is the gradual accumulation of cellular and molecular damage in the tissues that slowly, slowly impair the function of those tissues. And when you're young enough, the burden of that damage is so small that you don't really notice it between, say, your 20s and maybe your 40s, uh, because there's lots of still-functioning units in your tissues that can carry out their function. Um, But the longer you live, the more that damage accumulates and eventually you start exhibiting dysfunction of particular tissues and when those tissues become dysfunctional enough, they reach a threshold where we recognize and say, aha, that is a disease and we falsely treat those as if they were sort of independent processes like the way an infection is where something comes into your body. Uh, and you know erupts and you have to sort of get rid of it whereas instead it's it's just the particular outcome in a particular tissue of the way that tissue you know damages itself the same way that uh, say the brakes get damaged every time you use them right because of friction or uh, the way that uh, the oil will break down in a car engine right there there are different kinds of damage that happen because they are different functional units that have different kinds of stressors placed on them Um, and so uh, when it comes to parkinson's parkinson's is a particular manifestation of that right so you have a series of important functional units in your brain that gradually become damaged by aging processes and those can be overlaid additionally by Uh, unfortunate genetic variants or by uh, environmental exposures that add on even more damage to what you know the natural operation of your body would be that gradually cause those units to lose function and when the loss of that function becomes bad enough you start to see the pathological signs that we call Parkinson's disease. But what it really is is just a particular manifestation of aging that's happening in all of us.
0: Members of my listening audience certainly know what rejuvenation is, but very few of them really know anything about rejuvenation biotechnology. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah,
1: so that's the approach that we're taking at SENS Research Foundation to dealing with this problem. So um, if we say that you know aging as a broad swath and particular diseases of aging in particular are the accumulation of cellular or molecular damage in different tissues, uh, rejuvenation biotechnology is what we call the, the damage repair approach where we say uh, we are going to go in and develop biotechnologies that will directly repair, remove, replace, or render harmless all those functional units. So traditionally, medicine has addressed diseases of aging by either looking at what the symptoms are and trying to develop ways to alleviate those, or some of the better medicines are what are called disease modifying. And what they have traditionally done is looked at what are the metabolic drivers that cause that excessive damage to accumulate let's see if we can find ways to you know develop drugs that will alter that those metabolic processes to make them less damaging Um, and that can slow the process down uh, but it can't really reverse it so as a a simple example if you think about atherosclerosis which is you know the, the fatty plaques in your arteries Um, What statins do is they say, well, okay, if those plaques are driven by the accumulation of LDL cholesterol particles in cells inside your arteries that eventually cause those cells to become dysfunctional and those dead cells accumulate inside the lining of your arteries and that eventually leads to a heart attack, let's lower your level of LDL and that will slow that process down. But, of course, it doesn't prevent you from getting uh, atherosclerosis altogether, and it certainly can't, you know, eliminate heart disease as such, but it can certainly slow the process down a lot, and a lot of people will die of other age-related disease before they get, you know, a heart attack or other um, complications from atherosclerosis. Um, And so in in Parkinson's disease, right, uh, the Best used drug is dopamine. uh, uh, Sorry, excuse me. Is levodopa, which is just a precursor to dopamine, which is the uh, the chemical that allows you to control fine motor function, that is normally produced by these neurons in a particular area of the brain called the substantia nigra. Uh, They produce this dopamine chemical and allow you to control those fine movements, and so. Uh, there's this very sort of crude symptomatic uh, treatment where you say, okay, we're just going to replace that dopamine by giving you a precursor and a pill. Um, but still, the the neurons that produce that dopamine are still degenerating, and so you still are gradually losing these neurons, and therefore, uh, the disease continues to progress, Um scientists have tried over the years to develop drugs that could maybe slow that process down uh, by, you know, changing the way some of the potential chemical drivers of loss of dopaminergic neurons happens. Uh, None have really been all that successful so far, but even if they did, they would just be slowing that process down. And, and again, that's just because the way dopaminergic neurons function they're damaging themselves all the time, and everyone as they age is losing dopaminergic neurons, Uh, but people who develop Parkinson's disease, that process has happened faster than it has in the average person. Um, And so the rejuvenation biotechnology approach is instead, let's find all the cellular molecular damage that accumulates in the Parkinson's disease brain, and let's develop particular biotechnologies that can remove damaged units and replace them and thereby keep the brain healthy and functional, you know, in every respect, but in particular in the respects that are relevant to Parkinson's disease.
0: Can Parkinson's symptoms be reversed using rejuvenation tech biotechnology?
1: Uh, They obviously can't right now today, uh, but what, when we will be able to achieve once we have a sufficiently comprehensive panel of rejuvenation biotechnology is by removing and repairing all the cellular molecular damage that is causing those tissues to become dysfunctional, the symptoms of dysfunctional tissues uh, will come to an end. And so uh, the first people this has done in successfully will have you know, fewer, lower risk of developing Parkinson's disease in the first place, eventually we'll be able to arrest people at a particular stage in the disease, and eventually we'll be able to reverse it entirely, we expect, Uh, and therefore, you know, you'd be able to make them go away. But the the more near-term goal is to prevent people from developing Parkinson's in the first place and to, you know, make the course of the disease less fast and less severe in the people who have it.
0: What are the types of cellular and molecular damage involved with Parkinson's?
1: Yes, we've already mentioned one. It's probably the one that more of your listeners will know than any other. Uh, It's the loss of those dopamine-producing neurons in your brain. And, And again, this is something that happens to everybody. It's just a function of the metabolism of dopamine producing neurons uh but it has reached a critical threshold in people who develop from parkinson's disease and it's responsible for the most characteristic and most obvious uh symptoms of uh parkinson's disease you know the the tremors uh the sort of mask-like appearance that some people with parkinson's disease develop um some of the fine motor control problems that people have um and so the the obvious way to fix that problem is to replace those neurons Uh, and some of your listeners will know that as early as the 1980s scientists in the united states and also in europe in particular in sweden uh, were working on this they were using at that time these simple mixed fetal cell uh cultures because they had uh Viable and very pristine and very uh, functional dopamine neurons in these tissues that they were extracting. And they were implanting sort of these mixed cellular uh, explants into the brains, uh, not exactly where those neurons naturally live, but close to where their target cells are in the brain um, so that the dopamine they produced would reach it. Uh, And that had really mixed results uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons that we understand better now, the the most obvious of which is those cells were just very complex mixtures and not all the kinds of cells we would want. And we weren't doing much to make sure that those neurons survived or that they took hold. Um, But in a few patients, it worked really well. The, The standout case Uh, One person had almost no symptoms at all for 16 years uh, And that actually, you know partially reversed a degenerative process that they were already on so they really genuinely got better uh, a few of them and this this one case most dramatically Um, And so uh, uh, much improved protocols on that are really under quite active research today uh, we can talk about that in more detail, or I could go on to other forms of cellular method. It, I don't know if you want to sort of summarize them all up top and then go through them in detail or go through them in detail one by one.
0: Well, however you would like to uh, uh, proceed, I do know that members of my audience would like to know in a practical sense if it's possible to replace g, minor, er, or Dopaminergic... Dopaminergic neurons, is it possible? Uh,
1: I mean, if you you mean, you know, can you go to the doctor today and get that done? uh, No, we've got a bunch of very small clinical trials working on this, as I say, trying to improve on the protocols that were developed back in the 1980s. We have much more powerful technologies available to us now to really make the exact kinds of neurons that we need and to put them in the right place and to improve their survival. Um, But it's not something you can as yet go down to your doctor and request. As I say, there's there's very small clinical trials. So uh, to run down, the the one that is most recent and very promising, the company called Blue Rock Therapeutics, uh, that's a stem cell company that's now been bought up by Bayer, you know, the people who make aspirin. Uh, they launched a trial. They did sort of a soft launch back last May and opened it fully in uh, June. They're only accepting 10 people. So as I say, it's a very small trial. But they have this very powerful technology that your, some of your listeners may have heard of um, called uh cellular reprogramming or induced pluripotency where scientists can now take a cell out of many tissues in your body such as deep uh, layers of your skin and they can use some genetic manipulations to actually unwind the developmental clock so uh, if you think about you know when you start with a fertilized egg uh, those cells are not lung cells or brain cells or liver cells right then and there, but somehow that simple fertilized egg has to eventually develop into every kind of cell in your body. Uh, and that's a process of differentiation where a, a sort of a, a cell that has the potential to become any type of cell, that's a pluripotent cell, um, is cued by developmental chemical processes to become a liver cell, or a heart cell, or a brain cell, and so scientists now have this remarkable ability um, to take, as I say, a, a cell from just the deep layer of a person's skin, wind back its developmental clock to give it that pluripotent potent potential that it had as a fertilized egg, and then using chemical cues to walk it forward again to become a brand new, fresh neuron or heart muscle cell or muscle cell from you know your your working muscles your skeletal muscles uh, or liver cell and so blue rock uh, is one of these companies that's doing that Um, some companies are using uh, this to take the patient's own cells and cause them to become either dopaminergic neurons or the immediate precursors of dopaminergic neurons to replace them that way, Blue Rock has a different approach. They are uh, taking uh, banks of cells from healthy donors, uh, winding them back into a state where they say they are able to make them universal uh, IPS cells, where they can actually be transplanted in anybody without worrying about immune rejection, even if it's from a different person. Um, And then they walk them forward into becoming these dopaminergic neurons. And they are now implanting those cells into the brains of people in the early stages of Parkinson's disease. Uh, And the expectation is that they will be able to uh, prevent those people from further advancing into their motor symptoms, uh, because those are the ones that are, you know, the most direct... uh, phenomena that happened as a result of the loss of these dopaminergic neurons. Um, there's several other startup companies and also a, a European Union led academic uh, program called the Transneuro Neuro, uh, sorry, excuse me, Trans Euro Initiative that are also working on that. There's a scientist also named Jun Takahashi in Japan who's working on this. Um, we have a A close ally of ours uh, named Jean Loring, who's at the Scripps Institute and the University of California at San Diego, who is working on these induced pluripotent cells, Uh, she will eventually be using the patient's own cells to do that. Uh, And uh, their plan is, uh, again, to use these patient cells, walk them back into Uh, a state where they can become any kind of neuron, walk them forward again to become dopamine-producing neurons and then implant them into the brain. And so uh, the expectation is, you know, the, the outcomes that were really the best of the best from those early fetal cell transplants could become the outcomes for everybody and we would be able to keep people that way, you know, indefinitely, perhaps by having to replace more neurons over time but never allowing them to become, you know, such a critical deficit that you start developing these Parkinson's disease motor symptoms. Um, And so that's the expectation there.
0: You are listening to the Parkinson's recovery radio network. My guest today is Michael Ray, science writer at SENS research foundation. Michael, I'm wondering, are alpha synuclein aggregates an issue for Parkinson's?
1: Yeah, they're really important in Parkinson's and a, a bunch of related pathologies. Um, you know, your listeners may know some of them because they're so closely related to Parkinson's disease. So, there's Lewy body dementia, which uh, we learned eventually. The micro, uh, sorry, excuse me. Um, Oh, gosh, uh, his name has escaped me now. Robin Williams, um, the comedian eventually uh, was claimed by. Um, there are other ones like, um, uh, oh, gosh, the name is escaping me, uh, multi-systems, atrophy, uh, several of these diseases where uh, Lewy bodies are really extremely important, but they're also quite important in Parkinson's disease. Uh, They are just less obvious in terms of the symptoms they produce. Um, Alpha-synuclein is uh, an aggregated protein. So it's a protein that has important functions in the cell. Uh, It's involved in maintenance of the cell membrane and some other things. Um, But when it becomes damaged, when it isn't turned over properly, it can become uh, sort of molecularly sticky and the molecules of alpha-synuclein start to aggregate together, uh, sort of bunch up into these uh, cloddy sort of messes and that makes the neurons dysfunctional in different ways and uh, over time again like all aging people will develop alpha-synuclein in their brain Um, but people with Parkinson's disease and these other disorders Uh, develop it at an accelerated rate, and they develop it in particular sort of standardized uh, process where it starts off in the, the, well, we used to think it starts off in the brain stem, and it gradually spreads forward throughout the brain, it's responsible for some of the so-called non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. So here we're talking about uh, REM sleep disorder, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, where Uh, your brain stops properly making your muscles go limp while you're dreaming. And so you're sort of acting out your dreams as you dream. And you might be, uh, you know, inappropriately walking in the bed or you might even be uh, flailing your arms around or whatever. Um, Or uh, some of the, you know, the, the other problems that are caused by that are constipation or incontinence or erectile dysfunction all these things involving more of the autonomic neuro uh, nervous system rather than the voluntary actions you take during uh, you know fine motor control which are the the ones that people tend to focus on
0: well is it possible to capture these protein aggregates in the gut Yeah, let me,
1: before we get on to the gut, that's a really important and promising question. Um, There is a rejuvenation biotechnology approach broadly to speaking to that. And as you might think, if you've got a bunch of damaged proteins accumulating in your neurons, the solution would be to remove that aggregated protein from your neurons. Um, And the way scientists are working on that is through therapeutic antibodies. And so uh, antibodies Uh, are usually used by the immune system to attack, you know, viruses and bacteria. Um, But they do that because they have this very precise uh, ability to capture particular molecular sequences and they can be used to capture particular proteins in the body. Those are being used right now, for instance, in rheumatoid arthritis to capture a bunch of the proteins that cause the severe inflammation in that disease. Um, There are similar therapeutic antibodies being used now, again, in clinical trials. You can't walk down to your doctors and get this yet, Um, but to remove alpha-synuclein from the brain. um, These work very well in animal models of the disease. You can remove the alpha-synuclein from animals that have genetic mutations that are found in some humans with young-onset Parkinson's disease, and they will actually both remove the alpha-synuclein aggregates from their brains and improve their neurological function. It's very exciting. And so there's a series of companies. Um, the one that is most famous is called uh, Prothena. They're partnered with Hoffman LaRoche. Uh, they have an antibody called prazinuzumab that is uh, involved in phase two trials right now in fairly severe Parkinson's disease patients. Uh, to alleviate a particular subset of the motor function in uh, Parkinson's disease patients. It's going along quite well, but there are several other companies working on this. Novartis has just bought into one of these. Uh, AC Immune uh, has just bought up a small uh, biotech company in uh, Austria called Ephiris that is working on one of these. Uh, they have recently gotten backing from Uh, the two brothers uh, who are behind BioNTech, who you will probably know are responsible for one of the two uh, major vaccines against COVID-19. So a whole series of these being developed. um, SENS Research Foundation actually has an indirect hand in this. So um, the way most of these antibodies work as I say, is they go in and they capture the particular molecular sequence in an aggregate like alpha-synuclein and try to basically pull it out of the neurons or pull it out of the brain. Um, And those work okay. I mean, we'll, we'll of course have to see how well each individual one works in these clinical trials. But the problem is it's difficult for those to get inside the brain and it's also Uh, difficult to get them out of the brain once they capture a molecule of alpha-synuclein. We're working on an approach and right now we're trying it just in cell models and we're trying it with a different aggregated protein that is less relevant to Parkinson's disease, uh, although all the damage of the uh, aging nervous system is sort of complexly involved, which maybe we can talk about a bit later on. Um, But uh, it's involved fairly closely with Parkinson's disease and even more so with a series of other neurological diseases of aging, uh, the most prominent of which is called frontotemporal dementia. And the idea is here is using this particular class of antibodies called catabodies, um, which instead of going in and capturing and sort of dragging out these aggregated proteins, these are actually have cleaving ability. And so they not only bind onto an aggregate with a high level of precision, they actually will chop it up into uh, harmless byproducts that the cell can just then metabolize away. Um, And Dr. DeGray, our scientific founder, uh, identified in the literature a way to, Potentially get these catabodies inside the cell which is where you ideally want them to be and actually chop up uh, tau or at least that's our expectation we're in very early stages in this work right now I will tell you um, but if that works we'll be able to remove uh, the tau aggregates from the brain and if that's successful you know I can tell you for sure our next target with that technology will be to use the lessons learned from aggregated tau to go after aggregated alpha-synuclein. And we expect that that will be a much more effective approach than the conventional antibody approach that are being pursued in clinical trials right now. Um, you asked a moment ago about the gut. Um, that's another exciting potential. So as I was saying, we used to think alpha-synuclein first got seated in the brain stem, so that the area just above Uh, the spinal cord that, you know, controls some of your really basic motor functions and some of your emotional functions. Uh, But we actually now know that some of it first gets seated inside the gut uh, and it actually travels up the vagal nerve, which controls some of your, you know, your involuntary function, like the contraction of the intestines. It actually travels backwards up Uh, from the vagal nerve into your brain, and that's actually how it gets into the base of the spinal cord in the first place. Um, And so there's a lot of scientists asking the question, well, what if we could actually capture some of that in the gut so it never got up to the brain? That potentially is a lot simpler because any time you're doing anything in the brain, it's tricky business, right? Um, We have a a closely allied company company called Icor Therapeutics out in New York state um, and one of their sort of companies they are incubating out there uh, is working on a particular analog of antibodies that you know unlike regular antibodies antibodies usually have to be given by injection because they uh, they're proteins and they just get degraded by the acids in the gut um, but uh, these particular Antibody-like molecules uh, have the same kind of precision you get with antibodies, but they can actually survive transit in the gut. And so, potentially, that if you know, once they get this platform working, they might be able to develop versions of this molecule that can capture alpha-synuclein uh, in the digestive tract or in the neurons in the digestive tract uh, and remove it right then and there before it gets a chance to go up and seed the brain. And that would be a really beautiful thing. If you could just take a simple pill uh, that would reduce your uh, alpha-synuclein aggregate burden going forward, you know, it could keep people from needing the more complicated rejuvenation biotechnologies for, you know, years or decades to come. So it's it's a really exciting potential Um other scientists are working on ways to reduce the level of that in the first place, maybe with uh, advanced kinds of probiotics or whatever. Um, but we think that this is a much more promising approach if it can you know get working, and as I said that's in extremely early, really even conceptual stages right now, but it's at least a potential.
0: On the SENS website, there is a discussion of senescent cells. Uh, and now, what in the world do these cells have anything to do with Parkinson's?
1: Right, yes. Yeah, so that's something that's been discovered really relatively recently. Uh, it's really very exciting. Um, and actually, one of the things that you might have available as a medicine more quickly than a lot of the other things that are being worked on um, so senescent cells uh, are these uh, initially normal cells that suffer a particular kind of damage. And there's a, a series of different stressful stimuli that can trigger this transition process, most of them involving some kind of change in the genetic structure of a cell. Um, and they're sort of an emergency brake system that the cell can pull. The cell is sort of always scanning itself. Uh, And when it sees that it's undergoing these risky changes, it says, okay, if this doesn't stop, we could become a cancer cell. That will become a threat to the body. We can't have that. We're going to pull the emergency brake. uh, And you enter into this state called senescence. And the the most obvious effect of entering into senescence is that the cell stops replicating. So it, it can no longer develop more copies of itself. And as most people will know, you know, the the thing that is most important about cancer cells is that they are replicating themselves completely out of control, right? A lot of cells in the body are able to replicate themselves, but it's always under very precise control. Cancer cells just start ignoring all the signals to stop growing and they just grow and grow and grow and grow until they kill a person. Um, So in order to avert that, senescent cells pull the emergency brakes, completely shut down replication, um, which maybe would not be the worst thing to happen. Uh, And the problem is another thing that they do uh, to remove themselves uh, eventually causes problems. So these same cells produce these chemical messengers, which are collectively called the senescence-associated secretory phenotype. Uh, You can say that quickly by saying SASP. Um, And those are mostly inflammatory cues that alert the immune system to say, uh, hi there, Uh, we have become senescent, please come and remove us. Uh, And that works quite well. There's a class of cells in your body called natural killer cells that are actually designed to remove a bunch of different kinds of aberrant cells, which include cells infected by viruses, but also cancer cells and senescent cells. So by sending out a signal, um, senescent cells are supposed to attract these immune cells to remove them. Um, The problem is, I mean, first off, that process is never perfect right? Uh, No intrinsic maintenance process in your body ever is. And so they don't capture all of them. Uh, And also, as a person undergoes the aging process, a lot of things are being damaged and sending out signals that they need the immune system to come and fix them or that otherwise uh, are causing inflammation. And so what probably is happening is just that there is so much inflammation both from the SAS, but from all these other sources in the aging body that the immune system just gets confused and it stops removing uh, all the senescent cells in your body. And they start accumulating more and more and more as you age. And, you know, as you can imagine, not only then are you losing functional replicating cells in your body, but you also are producing more and more inflammation and also, uh, other components of the SAS cause other kinds of problems in your body, some of which eventually, ironically, actually make you more prone to cancer. Um, and it becomes a real problem. And uh, one of the ways that we have really only very recently discovered it's a problem uh, is in the aging brain. Um, and with reference to Parkinson's disease specifically, scientists have discovered that people with Parkinson's disease have a significantly higher burden of senescent cells in their brain of a particular kind. So is that in the brain, in addition to neurons, the, the cells that are most familiar in the brain that are most directly involved with, you know, our thought processes, um, there's an important class of supporting cells called astrocytes uh, and astrocytes. They provide certain kinds of nutrients to the neurons and they are there to uh, remove certain kinds of toxic substances and to play immunological in roles and other support roles to the neurons. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they suffer damage like every other kind of cell in the body suffers damage, and some of that damage can cause them to become senescent. And then they're producing this dangerous FASP, uh, which we have found in experimental models um, cause the dopaminergic neurons to become more prone to die. And so they are actually accelerating uh, the loss of dopaminergic neurons in the brain. Uh, There's actually a a pesticide called called paraquat, uh, which I believe has actually been banned in the United States, but uh, agricultural workers, you know, not people who are eating foods that have been treated with paraquat, but agricultural workers who are exposed to it directly, would be sometimes at much higher risk of Parkinson's disease because the paraquat was doing something that was not really understood back in the day that was making them lose more dopaminergic neurons. Uh, And now at least in cell models and in lab animals, it seems pretty clear that what's happening with paraquat is that it causes more astrocytes to become senescent. The senescent astrocytes, cause you to lose dopaminergic neurons more quickly. Um, And so one of our colleagues, Julie Anderson at the Buck Institute, um, she actually used uh, two different animal models of Parkinson's disease, one of which was produced just by giving animals paraquat, which is a a standard way you develop a a Parkinson's model in mice, um, and show that indeed the mice develop more senescent astrocytes Uh, And then the really exciting part about that is there is candidate rejuvenation biotechnology to deal with senescent cells. And so this is a class of therapeutics called senolytics. And senolytics are just, you know, drugs or other approaches to remove senescent cells, to basically destroy senescent cells in a tissue. uh, And that's, you know, the most sure way, to deal with the problem of senescent cells. is you just destroy them, get rid of them, uh, sort of do what the immune system is supposed to be doing for you. Um, and so there's now a series of drugs that are able to uh, destroy these cells to basically trigger them to commit cellular suicide. So when she used actually... Uh, not a drug, uh, which the, the drugs weren't actually available when first, she first started working on this work, she was using a kind of genetic cellular suicide switch which she had engineered into these mice just as a proof of concept. But when she threw the cellular suicide switch in senescent cells specifically, uh, it actually prevented the mice from becoming uh, you know, Parkinson's disease-like uh, when they were given paraquat. It was very exciting. And then in another uh, separate animal model of Parkinson's disease, she also showed that she could prevent the animals, even after having been exposed to a chemical that causes them to develop this Parkinson's-like symptoms, um, it prevented that disease from happening by killing off the senescent cells. And so that's really promising. So that is a way to keep your dopaminergic neurons from becoming destroyed indirectly by removing the senescent cells. And senescent cells cause problems all across the body. And so, you know, you're not just going to be fixing that one particular problem, but fixing a bunch of problems. Um, the, a separate scientist subsequently managed to develop, as I'm saying, uh, these senolytic drugs that are approaching that problem. Uh, and we at SEND Research Foundation, we're instead sort of going a bit back to the way that your body already handles it and saying, well, okay, what exactly is going on with your natural killer cells that is stopping them from removing more senescent cells? And our scientists are working on ways to either enhance the ability of the natural killer cells in your body to remove senescent cells out of your body. um, Or alternatively, how can we develop sort of superpowered natural killer cells outside of your body, you know, take some natural killer cells out of your body, give them these superpowers, expand their numbers greatly, and then infuse them back into them uh, to remove a whole bunch of senescent cells all at once. Um, some of your listeners will know that an approach like this is being used uh, mostly with a different kind of immune cell called a T cell, but also now with natural killer cells to address cancer. So um, this uh, CAR-T technology uh, is being used to develop uh, superpowers for T cells that will cause them to specifically hone in on cancer cells based on the molecular signature of those cancer cells and destroy them in an uninhibited way uh, without some of the checkpoints that uh, normally will allow the cell to evade T-cells. Um, and so our scientists, led by Dr. Anit Sharma, uh, are working ways to superpower uh, natural killer cells so they, too, could go after senescent cells in even more powerful ways that uh, allow them to bypass some of the ways that senescent cells currently use to avoid being destroyed. Um, so it's a very exciting potential where if you purge those senescent cells out of the tissue, you can prevent all the harm those cells cause. And in, in the case of Parkinson's disease, and we've been looking at those senescent astrocytes, so that's really very exciting.
0: are listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. My guest today is Michael Ray, science writer at the SENS Research Foundation. Michael, what role does glucocerebrosidase play in the aging process? Right.
1: So a glucocerebrosidase uh, is a, uh, well, let's start with glucocerebroside. Uh, so this is a a sort of a fatty molecule that is present in the the membranes of most cells in your body, in particular, including neurons. Um, And it's a a natural component of the cell membrane, but it does become damaged just like other molecules in your body. It has to be turned over. Um, And there is a, a sort of a little recycling factory inside your cells Uh, called the lysosome, and it's where a lot of damaged proteins and molecules and even whole organelles get sent to be broken down into their constituent parts, uh, recycled and released so that the cell can use the raw materials that went into that structure to build something new. Um, Unfortunately, um, first off, I mean, the, the lysosome is never perfect, but in particular, something, and the, the estimates vary quite a bit. I've seen estimates anywhere between 7 and 20% of people with Parkinson's disease have mild mutations in the enzyme that is in the lysosome whose job is to break down and uh, allow for recycling the components of glucocerebroside. And so that enzyme is called glucocerebrosidase right Uh, the ace meaning it's an enzyme that breaks down glucocerebroside Um, and so because they have these mild mutations uh, they don't turn over glucocerebroside as well as they should Um, now if you have a severe mutation in that uh, you get a congenital disorder uh, called goucher's disease uh, which uh, sometimes causes problems in the liver and in the skeletal and blood system but in some patients also causes problems in the brain um, but as I say it's something like 7 to 20% of Parkinson's patients have these milder mutations and what unfortunately scientists have worked out happens is that when you have a glucocerebroside that accumulates in the cell without being degraded properly uh, it causes change in alpha-synuclein that causes alpha-synuclein to aggregate more quickly. And so we've already talked about the problems with uh, alpha-synuclein aggregates. Uh, This is one of the ways that alpha-synuclein can go into that aggregated state. Um, And so uh, scientists, you know, initially mostly for people with Gouch's disease, uh, but also some scientists are working on ways to address glucocerebroside and glucocerebrosidase uh, as a way to deal with Parkinson's disease, Uh, particularly uh, Genzyme and Sanofi. They've got a phase two trial where they are testing a drug that inhibits the production of a whole class of fatty molecules of which glucocerebroside is just one member. Um, The idea being if you produce fewer lipids so these this class of fatty molecules, um, including glucocerebroside, uh, then you will have less of it being left over and not turned over by this defective glucocerebroside aids, uh, and therefore allow the slowing of the production of alpha-synuclein. Now, our proposed solution is instead to actually remove the alpha-synuclein aggregates, but something that is really exciting especially for people who have these mutations uh is that uh our ally uh gene loring at aspen biotechnology uh one of the approaches she was taking and just to remind your listeners um she is working on these reprogrammed cells to replace the dopamine producing neurons in people's brains um, Her initial approach is just to, you know, flat out give you replacement neurons, but she is also, as a secondary aim, if the the first approach works in most patients, she is going to uh, develop a particular version of this biotechnology solution to deal particularly with people who, you know, may or may not already have Parkinson's disease but who are in danger of developing Parkinson's disease or in the early stages of it already um, and have mutations in glucocerebrosidase. Um, so what she will do is she will take, as I say, you know, deep layer skin cells out of people with these mutations. She will walk them back so that they have the developmental potential to become any type of cell. And then she will use... Uh, modern tools like uh, you maybe have heard of CRISPR uh, or other gene therapy approaches to either repair that mutation inside the cell or replace that mutated glucocerebrosidase gene with a functional glucocerebrosidase gene uh, and then walk it forward to become a dopaminergic neuron. And so you will not only be giving them replacement neurons for the ones that they have lost, those neurons now, unlike the neurons that these people were born with, will no longer have this problem uh, where they are more prone to develop these alpha-synuclein aggregates because they have a functioning glucocerebrosidase that can actually, you know, not be unusually vulnerable. They'll have the same age-related vulnerability that all of us have Uh, but they won't have this accelerated vulnerability because of a dysfunctional glucocerebrosidase. Um, And you could eventually take that even further because eventually you might be able to develop a more sophisticated way to remove glucocerebroside uh, than just glucocerebrosidase itself. Like, for instance, if there is a particular form of glucocerebroside that is more resistant to being removed, Uh, you could potentially develop a new enzyme for the lysosome that could remove it, you know, even more effectively or remove the subset that is harder to remove and therefore, you know, not just eliminate the excess risk that people with these mutations have, but further reduce the production of alpha-synuclein aggregates over and above what already happens during, you know, what we laughingly referred to as normal aging, so we would further, you know, reduce the burden of alpha-synuclein to begin with before we had to actually start removing it. So that's a whole series of quite exciting approaches to deal with that problem.
0: Yes, it is indeed. Well, how does one go about repairing damage to the mitochondria?
1: Yeah, so this is a a problem in a lot of cells in the body, uh, mostly in cells that don't normally replicate, like uh, neurons in the brain and uh, the muscle cells of the heart and your skeletal muscles uh, and a few other cell types in the body. Uh, So the mitochondria are known as the power plants of the cells. So these are the cells that actually produce the molecules of ATP, which are the energy molecules for the cell. They basically fuel almost all of the important molecular processes that the body carries out day-to-day to keep you alive. Um, so the mitochondria are where you take energy from food and turn it into that cellular ATP energy. Um, unfortunately, uh, mitochondria suffer a number of problems with age, and the, the most important and the hardest to deal with um, is the fact that um, so most of the structures and sort of functional bodies inside the cell they are being produced by genes that are encoded in the nucleus of the cell uh, mitochondria are unique they are the one uh, sort of little factory inside the cell that actually has some genes of its own um, and the the problem is that the, the process of turning, you know, just like when you use nuclear fuel and you produce energy from it, you produce waste or, you know, when you use a car engine or a gas barbecue and you burn gasoline or some fossil fuel uh, for energy, you also produce a waste product. And what uh, mitochondria produces a waste product is free radicals, which a lot of your listeners will know of, are these super reactive uh, parts of uh, an atom that can damage proteins and lipids and structures inside the cell. Um, And so it's an unfortunate coincidence that you have, you know, the energy factory for the cell producing energy and in the process producing these very dangerous reactive molecules right next to the genes that produce the proteins that keep the mitochondria running. Uh, And so that causes them to accumulate mutations as we age, uh, and that eventually causes the cell to become really dysfunctional because of uh, being taken over by mitochondria that have these large mutations in them. And so um, there's a a few ways you might want to deal with that. Um, the way that we are taking it at SENS Research Foundation is to say, okay, um, if these genes are inevitably going to become mutated as we age because of just the natural way that the mitochondria function, we are going to develop a backup system uh, that will keep the mitochondria working even if these mutations happen. So uh, the, the technology that we're using is called allotopic expression. The idea here is let's take the genes that are in the mitochondria right now, let us make a few tweaks to them so that they can work inside the nucleus of the cell, and then those genes can produce those same proteins with modifications that allow them to get into the mitochondria, and then those proteins can replace the functional units that would normally be produced inside the mitochondria themselves in the mitochondrial genes. But because they're far away in the nucleus, they are much less vulnerable to being mutated. And so you could keep the mitochondria working even if those mitochondria are you know, still bombarding their own genomes with free radicals. And even if they're full of mutations, they would still keep pumping out energy and working and not becoming dysfunctional, so the cell could keep working indefinitely. So we have a team of scientists in uh, our lab in Mountain View, led by Dr. Amutha Boomerham, who are working on allotopic expression that have become very successful, um, first developing the first really unambiguous case of allotopic expression for a gene called ATP6, and now working on every single one of the remaining 13 using several different approaches to do this in the cell to make the body able to keep its mitochondria humming along, as I say, even as they continue to damage themselves as we age.
0: Stepping back, uh, I have a question about how Parkinson's interfaces with other neurological diseases of aging
1: right so um, most people think of as I was saying earlier of diseases of aging as being sort of isolated things but they, they really are not what we're talking about in all cases um, is the damage that accumulates in particular tissues now uh, there are very particular structures in the brain responsible for things like the motor function and Parkinson's disease uh, and so it gets sort of treated as a whole separate thing from say Alzheimer's disease Uh, or the general loss of, excuse me, cognitive function that happens in all aging people or some of the other problems, but they actually all interact in complex ways. So, for instance, uh, Lewy body disorder, uh, which I was mentioning earlier, uh, and Parkinson's disease dementia, which is sort of not quite the same thing as Lewy body dementia, but they share a lot of important features they're really common uh, with Parkinson's disease, both in sharing a lot of the symptoms and in sharing a lot of the same cellular molecular damage. Um, One of the main differences is that people with Parkinson's disease, dementia or Lewy body dementia um, also have a significant burden of a different aggregated protein called beta amyloid, which is best known because it's the main uh, starting molecular driver for Alzheimer's disease. And so all aging people actually have beta amyloid aggregates in their brain and alpha synuclein aggregates in their brain and aggregates of, uh, tau, which I was mentioning earlier on. Um, and all of this damage is accumulating along with, you know, these so-called mini strokes, these transient ischemic attacks, uh, And damage to the white matter, which is the uh, insulating material that keeps your cells, uh, your neurons, communicating effectively with each other. All of this damage is accumulating in the brains of everybody all the time. And it's just when you say this person has Parkinson's disease, this person has Alzheimer's disease, uh, this person has multisystems atrophy, whatever, Uh, this person has vascular dementia, all of these things are just telling you that one of those particular kinds of damage has accumulated more quickly, more severely in this particular aging person than the other forms have. And so that form has become clinically manifest. But really all of these kinds of damage are interacting and interfacing with each other. As I was saying, you know, people with Parkinson's disease dementia or Lewy body dementia have a higher burden of beta amyloid than people with, you know, sort of quote-unquote pure Parkinson's disease do. And we now know that uh, alpha-synuclein aggregates and tau aggregates actually interact with each other. There is uh, one version of the antibody therapy against tau aggregates that I was talking about earlier that actually uh, when you use it to directly remove tau aggregates out of neurons in mice uh, that have a mutation that causes them to produce more alpha-synuclein aggregates, it actually reduces the level of alpha-synuclein aggregates that those mice develop, uh, not because it's doing anything directly to alpha-synuclein, but because the tau aggregates were triggering the alpha-synuclein to mutate, or sorry, to to aggregate at a faster rate than they otherwise would. Um, so all of this damage is interacting in complex ways. And what you ultimately wanna do for all aging people is not just to say, you know, let's again, fall into the mistake of treating all of these different forms of aging damage as things that are happening in isolation to just people who have a particular so-called disease. Uh, but as aging processes across the board that, you know, we want to keep everybody young and healthy and functional. And so we were going to remove, replace, or render harmless all of the cellular molecular damage of aging in all people. Everyone has their beta amyloid removed. Everyone has their senescent cells destroyed. Everyone has their dopaminergic neurons and their other neurons replaced as they lose them and so on. Uh, And that's the vision for a, a human future where we all retain, you know, as, as sharp as we are when we're young, um, as uh, able to control our fine motor function as we are when we are young, uh, our arteries as free of atherosclerosis as we are when we're young, uh, our bodies as free of cancer as we are when we're young, to engineer, again, negligible senescence, to keep ourselves young and healthy and vigorous indefinitely by removing and replacing all the damage of aging.
0: Everything you've discussed is so optimistic for persons who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms. What action steps can an individual with Parkinson's symptoms take right now, today, to slow the aging process?
1: Um, So it's a a bit of a tricky question to answer. a lot of things that people say uh, slow the aging process, what we're really talking about is not so much slowing the aging process because aging is just, you know, a, a function of the metabolic by-processes of, you know, so-called normal metabolism. Um, but a lot of us are uh, adding unnecessarily to that burden of cellular molecular damage through Uh, our lifestyles, and so uh, if we can find ways to slow down the accumulation of that damage um, through improving our lifestyles, uh, you know, by eating a healthier diet, by exercising more and more comprehensively, uh, by uh, reducing our exposures to toxins that might uh, be driving the damage forward, uh, we can reduce the amount of sort of excess aging damage that we uh, contribute to our tissues over time. Um, most of the things that you do to keep yourself healthy that you know people know about uh, will also reduce aging damage in the brain. Uh, that is most evident in the case of Alzheimer's disease, where you know anything you can do for your heart. Uh, greatly reduces your risk of developing Alzheimer's dementia. But the same is likely true in Parkinson's disease. Um, The most uh, interesting potential there possibly may be uh, maintaining good vitamin D levels, uh, but probably there are other risk factors involved as well. One that uh, has gotten a lot of attention is the possibility that coffee consumption, and you want to be careful about it um, because you don't want to be disturbing your sleep, Uh, but it certainly appears that people that consume uh, more coffee and particularly more caffeinated coffee are at lower risk of Parkinson's disease, and that probably relates to the way that uh, the messenger molecule dopamine uh, is able to communicate inside the brain. So there are probably a few things that a person can do. Uh, an interesting and sort of perverse one that I don't recommend is that it really strongly appears now that smoking reduces a person's risk of Parkinson's disease. Uh, obviously, you know, because the side effects of doing that are far worse than Parkinson's itself in some people, uh, I certainly don't recommend that broadly, uh, but there are clinical problems going on right now to see if, for instance, uh, nicotine replacement therapy because people suspect that what's responsible for this effect is actually the nicotine um, may you know potentially preserving uh, dopaminergic neurons or maintain the signaling pathways better um, whether nicotine replacement might be able to uh, reduce a person's risk of developing Parkinson's disease or slow down the progression of Parkinson's disease So there's a few interesting leads on that. I will confess I am less familiar with lifestyle approaches in Parkinson's disease than some other diseases of aging. Um, And I I focus really on the actual rejuvenation biotechnologies that will eliminate it entirely. Uh, But I certainly think there is potential for people by maintaining their aging bodies in general uh, in better health by just reducing the you know, sort of environmental excesses that a person subjects themselves to to keep themselves healthy in all kinds of ways, uh, including reducing their risk of developing Parkinson's or slowing down the progression of it. Uh, another thing that may or may not directly impact the damage involved but keeps a person healthier is to just keep practicing using motor function uh, even after they develop Parkinson's certainly be certainly into it Uh, The one that has gotten probably the most attention is dance, um, whereby, you know, learning to uh, do these long, elaborate motions, uh, a person can maintain their overall motor function a bit better, and by following, you know, the music and so forth, I think, uh, also because it's very social activity, uh, there's some evidence is starting to accumulate that um, that can really improve the course of a person with Parkinson's disease. And you might also expect uh, keep a person at lower risk of developing Frank Parkinson's disease to begin with by giving them, you know, better fine motor control, even as, uh, you know, even if you're losing dopaminergic neurons, you're just able to control your motion better. Um Yeah.
0: It is now news when somebody reaches the age of 100, especially people who are well-known. Is it possible as this basic research of the SINs Foundation evolves that in the years ahead it will be news for a person to reach the age of 120?
1: I certainly expect so. I expect that we will first have news of people reaching the age of 120, which, as you may know, only one person has ever done so far, and there are a few scientists who actually doubt that she reached 120. Um, The oldest age that we are super, super confident in is an American woman uh, who reached the age of 119. So certainly the first person to reach 120 years old will be big news. But you know the only reason people living the only reason people die as a result of the passage of time the, the you know the greater they age uh, is because they are becoming unhealthy right it's the accumulation of all this cellular molecular damage in your body that drives the diseases of aging and that causes people to die of aging we say I mean people die of Damage to their bodies. That's what is driving them to develop diseases, and that's what kills them whether they die of You know a particular disease of aging or whether a person you know says they die of aging You know they they died without any obvious cause it's just because Their bodies have become so frail as a result of so many different kinds of damage in so many tissues That it's hard to even say exactly what went wrong with them Um, so once we are able to remove and repair enough of this damage from all the different systems in your body, uh, we will be keeping people younger and healthier for longer, and that will enable them to live uh, longer just because young healthy people don 't get sick and don 't die right um, and so yeah the the first people we will see this in will be the first crop of people to reach one hundred and twenty, but there's every reason to believe as we get better and better at removing and replacing cellular and molecular aging damage that we'll see people living to be 200 and 300 and 500. And if you push it off to the extreme, uh, you might expect to see a day when with true negligible senescence being engineered, uh, the average life expectancy could be as high as 1,000 years because if you take the very low risk of death That a person has when they're 20 years old or 30 years old and you extrapolate that out indefinitely and say what if we could keep people in the same health that they had when they were in their 30s or their 40s you do reach the potential for people with an average life expectancy of a thousand where they're no longer you know dying of aging as such at all because we have aging under complete medical control and instead Their life is more limited by, you know, accidents or uh, if they get into a fight with someone or, uh, you know, if we get hit by an asteroid or something, but not because their cells and tissues are just degenerating as a function of time, as a function of the normal operation of the body, which is what kills 90% of us in the developed world now.
0: Michael Ray, tell us about your books and how listeners can purchase them.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So, uh, Dr. DeGray, our scientific founder, and I wrote a book back in 2000 and I want to say 2007 uh, called Ending Aging because that's our platform. That's where we're going. Um, And that is available on Amazon. You can get it on our website. Uh, I see you have put up the link for it on your website, which is helpful. Thank you. And in that, we've walked through all the major classes of cellular and molecular damage of aging and all the rejuvenation biotechnologies that can potentially remove, replace, repair or render harmless that damage and the vision whereby then we can both prevent specific diseases of aging from accumulating. Uh, and also, you know, just sort of the overall aging process uh, to keep people young and healthy indefinitely. And we get into a little bit of sort of the side issues around what are the uh, social impacts that that might have and what are some of the objections that some people sometimes raise. But mostly the focus is on, you know, the nuts and bolts scientists of how can this vision be realized what is the basis of aging? What is the basis of age-related disease? How can we fix all of that damage to keep people young and healthy? Um, you can also get information about the work we're doing on our website. That is www.sens. so you spelled it out a couple of times, but again that is S-E-N-S, Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence dot com. Uh oh, sorry, I think it's actually sense.org, my my mistake. Um, and yeah, that is a, that is a really solid, if you really want to sink your teeth into the whole science of rejuvenation biotechnology, uh, ending aging is a really useful detailed account, uh, of how all that gets done. And we, we tried to do our best to balance between being technical enough that we can't be accused of oversimplifying things, but understandable enough that a person who is you know, scientifically curious, even if they're not a scientist themselves, uh, can understand how we're doing all of this and sort of laying out what was known then about the proofs of concept for this. And, you know, that was uh, almost 14 years ago now. And so in the subsequent years, uh, you know, more and more proofs of concept for rejuvenation biotechnology, whether it's in mice, whether it's in cells, uh, how did it develop, and you know, SENS Research Foundation itself has expanded, become better funded, uh, able to work on more projects. And so the entire process is, you know, 15 years further ahead than it was then. Um, so it, it's a but it's a solid foundation. The plan is still essentially the same plan we had back then. Uh, and most of the developments that have happened subsequently have sort of flowed naturally from the plan we laid out then.
0: Michael Ray, the developments that you have discussed during this interview are truly exciting. And much of what you've discussed, I am pretty sure, is very new to our listeners. As listeners think back on your presentation a week later or a month later, what would you most like for them to remember and take away from your presentation?
1: That um, I think most of us have we lived our lives on the assumption that aging and age-related disease, uh, first off, are just sort of natural and inevitable, uh, and secondly, that diseases of aging and the aging process itself are two separate things. And those are both fundamentally wrong. Uh, aging is a process of damage accumulation in our cells. Diseases of aging are particular kinds of damage in particular tissues causing dysfunction of those particular tissues and that there is a real chance now for us to develop a new class of medicines, rejuvenation biotechnologies, that can repair that damage, keep us young and healthy uh, indefinitely, keep us from developing the diseases of aging uh, and just keeping us in a state that we would want to uh, be able to live indefinitely and will be able to live indefinitely in that really excellent young health.
0: Michael Ray, on behalf of the thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking this time to give to us this most encouraging and scientific explanation of what the future holds for persons who happen to currently be experiencing the challenges of aging. So thank you for taking all of the time to help us all better understand what the future of our lives really does look like.
1: And thank you, Roger, for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. Um, We talk a lot of times with other scientists and we talk with people who are uh, enthusiastic about ending aging um, it is less common for us to be able to talk you know, more directly to people who are experiencing some of the very specific challenges that aging brings to us, like your Parkinson's community. And so I'm really excited uh, to bring it to a community that maybe gets less exposure to these issues uh, and hasn't yet heard a lot of the good news that is happening already and that will continue to manifest in the years to come.
0: And this, to be sure, is truly exciting for not only me, but for everyone who is a member of my global audience. And that, my friends, is what is happening here on the shores of the Puget Sound, where, as you well know, all the women are smart. All the men are, of course, handsome, and all of the children are profoundly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you have been listening to this spectacular presentation by Michael Ray, who is from the SENS Research Foundation, that indeed you are traveling down the road to recovery in your own way, making your own choices, and in your own fashion. Make it so, and may your coming year prove to be absolutely spectacular. Thank you for being supporter of Parkinson's Recovery.